ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We're going to talk a little bit about Genesis 1 this morning. We're, we're thinking about, we've been thinking about for the last few weeks, we're thinking about um, of money and how we manage it and, and what it looks like to um, understand what God's intent for money was in in our world. And this morning we're in specific, specifically going to talk about stewardship. And stewardship is an important element when we look at Scripture because of what God has given to us. Last week we talked about generosity. How has God been generous to us? What has he given to us? And we said that it started with an understanding of the gospel. It began with an understanding that God in Christ, in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, has told us that he has given us all things in, in Jesus. And that, that means all things pertaining to salvation. It means that every single one of us in here, if we go to God and we confess our sin and we, and we turn away from them and we, we repent and we believe, we put our faith in Jesus, that, that we have been provided all things in him. So this morning, as we move forward then, thinking about these concepts, what I want to do is turn to Genesis chapter 1 and look at a mandate, a command that comes to, um, to the first man, to Adam, in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in um, verse 26. So let's read this together. We're just going to read uh, six verses this morning. Genesis chapter 1, uh, uh, verse 26 through 31. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are some in the back table. If you want to grab one, feel free to, to do that. It would be good to have one in front of you as, we, as I'm going to continually reference this text this morning. Okay, let me read this for us. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is, is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God said everything that he had made, and behold, saw everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, so we look at this text, and we see part of this creation account happening, right? And we see that God is now creating man. He is creating man, and he has given him, he has appointed him a very specific task. Um, so I have three children, three and under, um, if you don't know that about me. Um, the, then this week, uh, my oldest, Abel, he's three, and Tev is his brother, he's two. Um, they were having a friend over. And uh, this friend was coming over, and, and so what Abel was doing, Abel's kind of having a tough time sharing right now. I, don't, I think that's pretty typical for three-year-olds, he doesn't have any tough time sharing. So what Abel did was he took all of his, his toys, he lined them all up on the wall, and he went down the line, and he said, and he said to his brother, he said to Tab, um, hey, if our friend wants to play with this toy, tell him no, not now. It's okay, why don't we find something else to play with? And then he went down to the next one, and Tab just says, okay, Abel. And, and, and it goes on and on, and he just goes down the line in that way, and he just, and he just says, you just say, no, not now. Um, and so I think when I thought about that, I think that for us as people, oftentimes we, we think that, that way about what we have been given, right? The, th 
things that we have, um, we have a no, not now mentality about it. So when we think about our finances, what we need to do is move away from that mentality. And it really begins to expose an understanding of who our resources belong to in relationship uh, and our relationship specifically to those resources. What do we have and what does it mean to steward those things? So like I said, we were in this third week of this study considering what, it, what has been graciously given to us by God, in particular our finances. And so far we've talked a lot about how, especially in the first week when we look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21 of Matthew chapter 6 where, where Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We thought a lot about that as it relates to um, what that means for our day to day. So basically, Jesus is, is holding a gigantic mirror up to our heart and showing us what, what it is, what, what's going on inside of us, and it, and it begins to expose what we really think and who we are. And last week, we watched this video. If you were with us, we watched this video. Um, those who, and it talked a little bit about this, those who are looking at their resources and say, my treasure is contained here on earth, you, as you move through life, as you move through time, are, are getting, are moving away from that treasure. But if your treasure is in heaven, if your treasure with, resides with God in heaven, you are, through time, as time progresses, moving closer and closer to that treasure, and therefore we have reason to rejoice. But if, if we are moving away from our treasure, then we have reason to despair. And then, like I mentioned, we talked about God's generosity last week towards us, he did not withhold anything from us, but generously gave all things to us, including his son. And then why then in response would we live stingy, withholding lives? So when we look at this passage this morning in Genesis chapter 1, we start to think a little bit about stewardship together. And, and so the question then comes up, like, why are we using that word? I don't know if that's a word that we typically use um, in, in our day-to-day -day very regularly. Um, but, but stewardship is just the responsibility or care for or management of something that's entrusted to you. Very simple, right? A simple definition. The management or care for something that has been entrusted, entrusted to you. So I think that's a simple, a simple spot to start. So the question in this morning, and kind of what's going to guide our whole time, is like, why stewardship and why not ownership? Why are we talking about stewardship, and why are we not talking about things that we own? So that brings us kind of to the big idea. As we read this passage this morning, I thought to myself, like, what's, what's the easiest way to, to, to state where we're going to go this morning? And I said, it's this. God commands his image bearers. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, verses uh, 26 and 27, he's talking about creating, uh, creating man in his image. Let us make man in our image. So God commands his image bearers to steward or to care for all of his creation in a way that honors him. Again, God commands his image bearers to steward all of his creation in a way that honors him. So we'll consider the text then together. We'll think about it this morning and then we'll talk about some implications and hopefully some practical stuff that'll, that'll help us think through how we can be better stewards. And honor God in our stewardship. So obviously the question that I ask then is stewardship, not ownership. What does that look like in our world? 
What do we have uh, that God has given to us, and, and how do we manage it? So again, God creating man in his image. He says very clearly, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God chooses here, right? He chooses to create man in a way that he has created nothing else up until this point, right? Nothing at the, up until this point has been created in God's image. This is the very first time that God creates something in his image. So there's a special imprint and a stamp placed on man here that nothing else, none of the animals, none of the plants, none of the rocks, whatever, everything else that has been created up until this point has not carried the image of God in this specific way. And so God uh, creates man in his image, and then he issues a command, or like a purpose for man, right? He says man will have dominion. He will have control over what God has created. And this is to set man apart. Again, not like the creatures of the earth, not like the rocks, not like the trees. He's setting man apart, set apartness. And God created everything, and it all belongs to him, and that's very clear, if we read this whole account in Genesis chapter 1, it's very clear that God created everything, and everything uh, is for him, and for his glory, and yet, at the same time, he puts his stamp, and he puts his image on man, and he gives him a purpose that ultimately is mirroring his divine nature. He's saying, he's saying, I have dominion, I have sovereignty, I have control over everything that I've created, and I am going to give that task to man as well. So dominion that is given to man, and this is control over or sovereignty over. So this is a big deal. This is not, this is not like a here, here's five dollars, go spend it. He's saying everything that I have is to be who's is to have uh, man is to have dominion over everything that I have created and everything that is rightly mine. This is the purpose, again, that God gives to man. Bring, he says, bring me glory by mirroring my divine nature as the one who is sovereign over all things, who has created all things. So God imparts this control, and he says, go, go now, go take care of business, do what I've told you to do, get it done in a way that honors me as the giver. And it's important to note here then, too, that he's not saying, go out and, and worship what I've given you, because that's idolatry. Don't worship what I've given you. Worship me and exercise dominion, steward, care for all that I have given to you. And one thing that I'd like to point out that, that I think is really important for us to note as we look at Genesis chapter 1 is this comes before Genesis chapter 3. 1 comes before 3. So we're, in, in Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall, Right? We have sin entering the world by the, by the sin of Adam. And so it's really important to note that God actually gives this purpose to man in Genesis chapter 1. And why is that important? That's important because I think sometimes when we look at our own work, um, we look at our job, we look at mowing the lawn, we look at shoveling the sidewalk, we begrudge that. And we say, oh, well this is because of sin. But, but in fact, that, that this is part of what it means to care for, to steward, to have dominion over what God has created. 
tells us that our purpose to bring God glory by mirroring him through the caring of his creation is part of our intended purpose. We don't have to wake up. We, we don't wake up and go to work at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday because of sin. We do it because God has commanded to us. That's what he's created us for. Our work is hard. Our work is hard and bears less than an ideal yield because of sin. But we were created to work to bring God glory, to care for everything, to mirror his divine nature and who he is um, in all that we have been entrusted with here on earth. So we don't do these things. We don't go to our job because we are, or we do it because we are created. We don't do it because we, uh, because of sin, but we do it because we're created in God's image and desire to bring Him glory through having dominion, control over, and care for our corner of creation, like our whatever God has entrusted with us in our world. This might be our spreadsheets. It might be our yard. It might be our car. Whatever God has entrusted with us with here on this earth. He's saying, do that for my glory. We were made to work, to care for what we have been entrusted with to the glory of God. So don't get sucked into this mentality that your job is terrible um, and that you work because of sin. No, that's wrong. That's not what we see here at Genesis chapter 1. It is clearly given before this mandate, this command is clearly given before the fall. Your work is hard because of sin, but you were created to work. So we bring God glory by aligning our life with his purposes, right? That's what we see here. We bring God glory by aligning our lives with his purpose. Every task that you have, everything that you have, is entrusted to you to care for and steward by God. Okay, so we see that here in this text. In Genesis 1, chapter 26 through 31, we see that happening here in this text. So what does, what does stewardship look like then? What does, that, what does that mean for us on a daily basis? Because this is all fine and well, but how does it affect our day-to-day? -day? And I hope to, hope to get a little practical here. Um, one, very first of all, it changes the way that we think about things, the things that we have. It changes, it shapes the way that we think about things um, because we understand that everything that we have is God's and that we have just been entrusted with it. So if we are stewards of our finances, then it's important what we do with them because we don't own them, right? If your job is somewhere in middle management in a company and you're given a task by your boss, you execute that task, right? You execute it. You go out and you execute the task or you lose your job. If you need to wash the car, and the only person telling you you need to wash the car is this voice in the back of your head. You don't do it. You just may not. You just may not do it. So it begins to shift the dynamic of what we have and how we care for it and what we do with it. If we are accountable for how we use our finances, we understand that they ultimately are ours. And so here's a, here's a practical application for us in 2016 as we look at and consider stewardship. Um, I think it comes down to this. Just simply, if we're looking at our finances, we go all the way, if we go to the end, it's simply having a budget, right? Something as simple as having a personal budget. And I, I don't, I think it does not matter if you make $5 per year or $500,000 per year. 
To understand what's coming in and going out is good stewardship. It is poor stewardship to not do that. If you're unemployed or you're not, if you're single or you're married, it doesn't matter. Being a good steward of what God has given you means knowing what's coming in and going out. That's a practical application for your finances. We see that in Genesis chapter 1. So some objections to that. Some objections to that. I, I, I'm not sure how to do it is the first and most easy objection. There are tons of resources. It's 2016. Google it. Seriously. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Dave Ramsey has a ton of really great things, software, uh, just worksheets to get started. And we're like, why would I make a budget? It helps you to steward what God has given you. It gives you opportunities to give to those who are in need and give to the mission of the local church because you understand what's going out and what's coming in. You can say, if I can cut here a little bit, I can, I can be more generous because God has been generous with me. If I understand and steward my resources well, then I can do that. If God tells you not to worry, then don't worry about it, but be smart about it. I give you those faculties to, to do just this. And so coming out of that, then, the question is, is having a personal budget a lack of trust? Is having a personal budget a lack of trust? And the answer is an emphatic no. No. We tend to do this. If I do, we tend to, okay, so we tend to set up these false dichotomies in our world. We tend to set up these, like, if I do X, then Y must be true, but that doesn't follow, right? It doesn't follow. By making a budget, it doesn't mean that you're not trusting God, but on the contrary, he has given you the faculties and the resources to manage the resources that he has given or entrusted you with. Part of your stewardship means doing things wisely. If you come to the end of the month and you're stressed about your finances, you're wondering where all the money went, you're, then you're not trusting God. But putting together a budget to see what God has entrusted you with does not demonstrate a lack of trust or unbelief in the promises of God that he has, uh, he has promised to provide all of your needs. If we're not being, if we're not doing this, if we're not understanding what's going out and coming in and seeing it on paper, this is what the Bible calls being a fool. Proverbs 17, 16 says, why should a fool have money in his hands to buy wisdom when he has no sense? Why should a fool have money in his hands to buy wisdom when he has no sense? And that's not a pun. Sense is not a pun. It's like sense, right? Okay, that was a joke. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> it means that even if a fool has money to buy wisdom, he wouldn't because he's an idiot. If even a fool had money in his hand and he went out and wisdom was a thing that he could pull off the shelf at Walmart, he wouldn't do it because he's an idiot. Don't be a fool. Buy wisdom. Go to the store and pull wisdom off the shelf. Proverbs 23.23 says this. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. This is what it means to buy wisdom. Make a budget. Like, seriously, make a budget. 
If you're saying to yourself this morning, well, that's really judgmental. He doesn't know my situation. You're right. I probably don't. I don't know your financial situation. But I do know that we are called as individuals, as people created in God's image, to steward the resources that we have been given. And here's something. I I, I didn't think about this until just a, a, a little while ago. Just a, even like 24 hours. Um, but I think it's something good to say about just this budget conversation. So we create a budget, right? We have these line items, and we, we have our spreadsheet or software or whatever it is. But I read an article this week about this guy who said who was talking about budgeting, like practically budgeting for spiritual health. And I guess he was Australian because he was talking about Australian dollars. I don't know why he lived in America and Australian dollars. Um, but what he said was Australians spent, on average, $75 on a gym membership per month. $75 on a gym membership. Um, which roughly translates to, like, $58 U.S., and that's somewhat similar to what Americans spend on gym memberships, on average. But that's a conversion conversation, and we don't care about that. So, um, so, so, so I guess the conversation that moved in his article away from um, we spend a lot of money away from like that gym membership to we spend a lot of money looking good, feeling good, sleeping well, etc. Like all the benefits of physically being active, like all those things happen, right? When we when we're physically active, but then he poses this question: How much do we spend in our spiritual health? How much do we spend on our spiritual health? How much do we budget for our spiritual health? Do we look at our what's coming in and. Um, and consider how we can bolster our spiritual health with our resources, the resources that have been given to us to steward. So exercise and taking care of our bodies is a good thing. This is a stewardship issue. Like, we should do that, right? We should steward our bodies. That is something that we have been given by God. We should steward our minds. That's been something we have been given by God. But ultimately, physical fitness, gym memberships, cool workout clothes, and protein shakes, those things are going to go away. They're not going to be here. They're going to leave us. They're going to, they're going to leave. They're not longer going to be part of, of, of our eternal future. And ultimately, they make terrible gods. And so the point of the article is that we, one, we take vacations for our mental health. Two, we exercise and eat well for our physical health. Three, we buy awesome mattresses for our sleep. But what do we do for our spiritual health? And I just want to read you this quote from this article. I think that this is important. He ended the article by writing this as sort of his conclusion. He says, let me speak personally. There is nothing more important to me than to see my wife and children growing in their love for Jesus and standing firm in him on that last day. Whatever I can provide that will help them to run the race and, and keep the faith is worth it. If it costs money, so be it. We will go to church together, pray together, read the Bible together, serve together, but I also send them to whatever event or buy, or buy whatever book they need that will propel them forward and cultivate their faith and love for Jesus Christ. I will do this because their spiritual health trumps every other priority, and I'm convinced that not one dollar spent here will be regretted on the other side of eternity. I know that in light of the age to come, pursuing spiritual health is a top priority, is a no-brainer. The challenge for me and for you is that we forget that this world in its present form is passing away. 
But there is a life to come, and in that life, the benefits of godliness will be enjoyed for all eternity. So when we consider stewardship and we consider the things that we do on a regular basis, sure, we want to manage the things that we have well, but we also need to be managing our spiritual health well. And part of that is being generous, like we talked about last week. Part of that is giving away the things that we have been entrusted with because your spiritual health is predicated upon, upon being open-handed and not being withholding and stingy. And we talked about last week, one of our takeaways last week was, if you are stingy with your finances, you will be stingy with your commitment to the people of God. You will walk out in the front door and walk out the back door and or whatever door you decide to come in, and you will do it when it's convenient for you. And if you're being stingy with your finances, it is it will follow suit that you will also be stingy with the people of God. Committing to the people of God, being generous with your time, being generous with your resources is a biblical imperative. It is a command. It is not a suggestion. I know that this is a difficult conversation to have. This is not an easy one to have. But it is also not the, the Christian life, again, it's easy, but it's not, or it's not easy, but it's simple. Right? It's not easy, but it's simple. It's a simple on-ramp to get on to the understanding of what we need to be doing on a regular basis as those who have put our trust in Jesus and understand as a response to what he has done for us. It is simple to understand the things that we need to do, but it's not easy to do them. That's why we need each other. That's why we're here. That's why we exist together in Jamestown in 2016, is to spur one another on to do those things regularly. Okay. So coming out of that then, what does stewardship look like? Firstly, like we just talked about, it changes the way that we think about what we have. It dramatically impacts the way we think about the things that have been entrusted to us by God. And secondly, it gives us this understanding that if we are stewards, it moves us towards investing in eternal, heavenly things and away from temporary, earthly things. So I'm just going to give you just three things to think about, sort of on the corporate level, on the family level, and then on the individual level here. And then we'll conclude when we done this morning. The church is the way that God has chosen to continue his mission here on earth. We affirm that strongly. The church is the way that God has chosen to continue his mission here on earth. And if we understand the mission is to make disciples and the local church is the way that mission is carried out, we will generously give to the local church. That is simple. It is easy. It is the way that we do, uh, the way that the local church continues to grow and to thrive and to carry out the mission. This ultimately is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is your heart is also, and back up just a couple of verses to where he says, uh, he says, uh, if your treasure is here on earth where moth and rust destroy, that's where your heart is. This is what it means to invest in eternal things, where we're investing in things that do not go away, that are not destroyed by moth and rust, 
that thieves cannot break in and steal. If we understand that the mission to make disciples and that the local church is the mission, the way by which that mission is carried out, we will generously give to the local church. This is investing in eternal things. And this has a benefit for our own soul as well. Second thing. The family is the first expression of the church. We've said this a lot. The family is the first expression of the local church. If we understand that our God or our children are on, on a mission field uh, and need to hear the gospel as often as we are able to speak it, and they need to be discipled in a meaningful way, they need their parents, we will spend money in ways, like the author of that article that I referenced earlier said, we will spend money in ways uh, uh, that will advance uh, their understanding of who God is and set aside our own career advancement, set aside our own personal pleasures, our own personal desires in this world, and we will invest in them. This is investing in eternal things. And then third, and finally, if we understand that we are stewards, and that moves us toward investing in eternal, eternal heavenly things and away from temporary earthly things, the understanding that we must have is that our soul will exist for eternity. If we understand that our souls are most satisfied in God and not in what we do or the things that we or the places that we find ourselves, and we, we work towards emptying ourselves of all the things that keep us from seeing God as the most beautiful thing in the universe, and in an incredible abundance of generosity, He gave up his son and has freely given us all things, we will move uh, to give freely and generously to find our satisfaction less in stuff and more in God. Less in stuff and more in God. Our soul will exist for eternity. Are you moving away from your treasure or are you moving towards your treasure? This is what it means to invest in eternal things. So the local church, right, to carry out God's mission here on earth. We understand that mission. To make disciples who make disciples, we will give generously in that sphere. If our family is the first expression of the church, if our children are our primary mission field, if the place that we need to make disciples at first is our spouse and our kids, and if you're single, that means investing time in the local church in order to bolster that understanding. We will invest in eternal things if we move that direction with our stewardship. And then if we have an understanding that our soul exists for eternity and that all that we have here has been given to us to temporarily use, we'll begin to invest in eternal things. So then in conclusion this morning, it's, it's really as simple as this. What you have isn't yours, you've been entrusted with it. What you have isn't yours, you've been entrusted with it. That doesn't only mean material. That means your gifts, it means your time, it means your talents, it means the things that you do, the way that you act, your mental capacity, 
consider that for a moment. All that you have is not yours. You've been entrusted with the cash in your wallet, the car you drove here, the iPhone that you're going to check your fancy football lineup on. All of those things, each of those things have been given to you, entrusted to you by God. Psalm 24 says this that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It includes you, it includes me, it includes the stuff we have. So let's together move towards this understanding that we are stewards, that God has given us all that we have. Let's continue to work towards loving him.